Welcome everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, inspired by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. We've surpassed 40 million downloads because we bring messages that help people make the change they need to get the results they want. In this episode, become the drug of choice. How's that for a title? In any conversation, you can become a constant dopamine hit for the other person. How? By making them the topic, not you. But can you do it? Can you resist the temptation we all have to talk about ourselves and express our opinions and our experiences so we can get our own dopamine hit? Second, can you skillfully keep the focus on the other person with authenticity? And this was a necessary skill for Robin Dreek as a special agent in the FBI. To catch and recruit spies, he became a master in behavioral analysis and applied his expertise in interpersonal communication, relationship building, and trust. These skills are used every day in leadership, sales, human resources, and all aspects of life both business or personal. I say they are used. They should be used if you want to do it effectively and successfully. And this is what we dig into in this episode from Robin's role with spies right into his home and how much it impacts his role as a husband and father. Uh, Robin, however, is not just skillful of mind. However, I ask about really personal and heart level issues. And I think this brought out some of the most valuable issues of the conversation Issues that are relevant to all of us and that we can apply right now. It's convicting to hear methodologies like this that are verified by the gravity of literal life and death situations. And I think what you will hear in this conversation will make a lot of just sense to you. You'll find yourself thinking, oh my gosh, of course. And you'll also be inspired about how you can take advantage of these core relational strategies. Robin does a lot of speaking at live events and working with business owners doing internal leadership, customer relations, and sales. You can connect with Robin at peopleformula.com where he offers training. You can find his book, The Code of Trust, wherever you get books. I'll bring Robin right to you after I share some great products and services. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. All right, Robin. Well, just as we're chuckling about right there, FBI, counterintelligence, catching spies, behavioral analysis expert. This is where when someone asks what you do, either they're going to be impressed or they're going to be really intimidated. And I'm sure you get a little bit of both. 
Um, yeah, um, <laughs> it's funny when you actually do something for a job, you become very complacent to the fact it's just a job. So you become very unimpressed with yourself if actually do a good job of living with humility. So, um, so yes, I've had both reactions. I'm sure. I'm sure. Not a little bit of paranoia from somebody. What's he thinking about me? Well, and which we're going to get into. So, you know, yeah. I, I once did a, an epic mountain bike ride with a group of guys. One of them was a, a retired green beret. And I was asking him, try to understand what he did. And finally, one of the guys says, well, dude, tell us like a movie that gives some kind of a depiction of some of the stuff that you did. So I thought, I'll throw the same thing at you. Give us that. Everybody can relate to a movie. Is there one that, you know, goes through some of the pieces, probably not in entirety, but you know, a little bit of this movie, maybe. Wow. A movie. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised you haven't been asked that. No, I haven't. Um, you know, I get asked a lot about criminal minds because, you know, when I ran the behavioral analysis program, we were embedded part of the behavioral analysis units, which is, which is what the TV show criminal minds is based off of. Okay. Um, but 95 to 98% of what that show is about is trying to find criminals that have committed a crime. So you look at profilers to come up with these ideal resumes for people. So it kind of sensitizes you so you can find the bad guy. Right. Um, there ha were a couple episodes that were based on my team. and But the difference is, is my team was very unique in the things I did throughout my career. And that is I always knew who we're strategizing that we're going to engage. Okay. And that was the big difference. I wasn't trying to find bad guys. I knew who the I knew who the people and I don't even say the word bad guys because that that objectifies a human being. And the key is never to objectify a human being. Um, but I always knew who we we're going to strategize some sort of dialogue or engagement with. So I was always strategizing trust, which was a very different approach than anyone else that really, really used. Well, and you talk about profiling and the word that I got in, in vetting all your information was predictive, uh, predictability yeah. and, yeah. and that in, as far as trust, well, tell, tell us about that predicting trust. So predicting trust. And, and that's what the, the next book coming out is about. Yep. And it's really been a, 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 you know, everything in life is a journey. It's not a destination. You know, when I started years and years ago, when I started teaching this stuff and running the team, you know, it all came down to starting with rapport, you know, right. so you had these, I had my 10 techniques for quick rapport. Well, what was the whole point of rapport? Well, the whole point of rapport is kind of move on to the next step so you can develop trust. And what's the whole point of trust was building a healthy relationship. And ultimately, what I found when doing these things was that human beings, when I became so focused on trying to understand exactly how they prefer to develop trust, I began to predict behavior. And, and, and it's, I, I call it these aha moments uh, which is the elusive obvious. They're very plain and simple to understand. And, and so predicting behavior is exceptionally simple. I can predict everyone's behavior and so can you every day of the week and, and every moment of the day. And that is, it's easy. All human beings are seeking safety, security, and prosperity for themselves and their families all the time. Yeah. My job is to figure out what you think is safety, security, and prosperity for your family. You know, so it forces you to get outside of yourself and in the mind of someone else. Yeah. Because we are genetically and biologically hard-coded for self-preservation and talking and working in our own best interests. And so as long as I understand what you think is in your best interest and I offer you resources in terms of those best interests, I know what you're going to do. So you're going to take advantage of my resources. So safety, security, prosperity. Did I get the three right? Yep. Um, so those, I do we, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking this because I'm thinking in my head that you tend to, I mean, I know me and I tend to think, well, I can tell you what it is. And it's my three definitions, which I would tend to uh, export onto other people. 
And yet I bet you're going to tell me, no, the variation of what people, where people find those is pretty vast. And is that where we're blind? Yeah. And you're, you're so right. It's how you define it. You know, some people can, you know, talk in terms of, you know, their best interests. Well, I'm a, I'm a dog lover or I'm a philanthropist, or I love you know, like you, you know, I love hosting podcasts and passing on messages to others. That's what you believe is in your best interest to do for you as a human being and your place in this planet and earth and universe, however you define it. And so as long as I take time to understand what you define it as, and I offer you resources in terms of doing it, you're going to take advantage of it. Why wouldn't you? Especially now, I have to have um, congruence between what I'm saying and the emotions and my actions. You know, and these things are exceptionally important. And so that way, there's nothing, you know, and that's where sincerity and genuineness comes in. You know, so I, I have my three anchors that I honor at all times, above all things. And that is a healthy professional relationship. Everything I do and say before I take any action, I ask myself, is this going to help or hinder a healthy professional relationship? Next is open, honest communication and transparency. Because if I'm not being open, honest with transparency, the likelihood of a healthy relationship is slim to none. And my third anchor is I make myself an available resource for the success and prosperity of others without expectation and reciprocity. Because, you know, I offer myself because I don't want to inflict myself in your life. If you don't want me, I can't make it about myself. You know, I'm, I'm out. Um, prosperity as you see it and no expectation reciprocity. In other words, none of the actions I took were, had the expectation of you, you reciprocating. Because if I did, then we start getting into the world of uh, attempt of manipulation or coercion. And as soon as that's detected or even suspected, whether it's real or unreal, um, shields are up and you won't have a relationship and you won't have trust. And so the whole thing blows up. So I, I, am, I am so particularly keen on avoiding any I'm, that's why it's so funny i'm the i am the count, former counterintelligence guy that will tell you i did not use deception i did not use subterfuge i am straight up the middle with hey here's the product i'm selling i'm selling an opportunity to be patriotic to the united states it's up to you whether you want to buy my product if you do great if not i understand completely here's the resources i have that i think could actually help you with what things you're trying to achieve if i'm off on that let me know and i'll completely leave you, leave you alone so that's the methodology it's really simple it's it's I called my job the, the most challenging sales job on the planet, and it translates into everyone else's. I mean, it's exactly what sales is. And that's where I'm going to dig in. I mean, you, but you do talk about I mean, some of what you're talking about there. And you mentioned this at some point of dealing with ego and vanity. Yes. I mean, you're talking about a lot of self-awareness. And at the yeah. core of that, what I then come back to is there's got to be or I'll ask, I mean, it seems like there, there's got to be a, for you to do that well, for you or, or somebody that you're training, uh, somebody that you're, you're doing this with, they've got to have a good self image. They got to be pretty solid enough to not have, cause you're talking about human needs. I need, 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 need. And you're going, right. don't, you're not going to succeed here. You've got to not need in, in a sense, or at least not yes. pretend like that. Yes. So then you're coming back to just self image personal. The- yeah. Self-image and self-awareness, like you said, is, is it, it rises throughout this. And and as soon as you understand, because everyone is everyone is, has insecurities. I always love this analogy that hey, we're all born perfect, and for 19 years the world messes us up and, and gives us all these insecurities we have. But here's the thing. Here's another guarantee. I can guarantee that we all will always act in our own best interest. Here's the other guarantee. We're all working on something. We all have insecurities. And so as soon as you start realizing, all right, I got insecurities, and if I'm transparent with them. And, and, you know, I have no problem with, with, with sharing them and 
I take for granted that you have them as well. And I'm not even going to poke at them. I'm going to ignore them. And I'm going to focus on your strengths. Because once I focus on your strengths, that demonstrates because human beings are seeking very simple things in life. They want to feel like they're affiliated with meaningful groups and organizations because it means our survival. And we want to be valued by those groups and organizations. And so my entire methodology is how do you demonstrate affiliation and how do you demonstrate value? The worst thing you can do is start poking at what they're bad at or their insecurities because then yeah. shields are up. I mean, it's, it's, it's so predictive, is it not? I mean, it, it, you start arguing context with someone and how they see the world through their particular optic, they're never going to listen to you. Meanwhile, your whole point was have them listen to you to begin with. Could, uh, so I want, I need a little, or I want a little backstory on this. Sure. Uh, it's, of course I want to go, you know, okay, why FBI, why counterintelligence and specifically behaviorists though, even before that is just for context, what even got you involved? Were those after joining the military or did you go towards the military with any interest towards those directions? You know, so that is, Kevin, that, I've only been asked this kind of question one other time and it was a young guy out in, in uh, Texas um, that started hosting a podcast. And I thought it was the, the greatest question ever. He said, he said, how did you, you know, what did you study? And how did you become this person? I go, dude, it was, it was complete failure and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's so, so, um, I, I, you know, I believe it, I believe all human beings are born with a gift and it varies. And as soon as you can, you know, figure out what that gift is and, and figure out how to fit it into the, the societal norm in which you live, it's a great thing. My gift uh, was the ability to, to take ownership for when I really failed hard. <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I'm a type A personality. You know, um, I went to the Naval Academy, Naval Academy Marine Corps, Marine Corps FBI. Then in the FBI, I was in New York City. I was a team member on a behavioral analysis program, went to Norfolk. I went to FBI headquarters, ran a national program there. I took over the behavioral team, all these very type A things. But I was severely dedicated. I wanted to be this great leader so bad. And when I grew up, I believed leadership was poking people in the eye and kick them in the butt and yell at them and tell them what to do. And, oh, my gosh, if you work in the world of counterintelligence or in any world where it's a very flat organization, not a lot of hierarchy and structure where you have to actually inspire people for action, where they're not where it's not uh, dependent upon your title and position. Yeah then you need actually to get rid of that type A personality. And so it was basically, I, I call my, all the books and things I've written about are my manuals that I wrote for myself on, on, how, on how not to be the moron I was born to be. And, and not get, you can't get rid of the personality you're born with, but you can add an awful lot to it throughout your life. And that's called education. It's called maturity. And so I started adding and understanding because I surrounded by great people that knew how this art form of interpersonal relationships went. And I started codifying it because these people, these great leaders and these great communicators, 90% of the time have no idea what they're doing. They're just saying, be more like me. I mean, I had that throughout my life. And I was like, all right, tell me how to be like you. And I said, well, just watch. And I was like, that's not helping. <laughs> what are you actually doing? And so yeah. that simple thing, you know, when they said, you know, I remember years and years ago in the Marine Corps, uh, I, I got a horrible evaluation. I was ranked last out of all these other Marines. And I said to my major, I said, well, all right, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do? And he goes, you need to be a better leader and you need to make it about everyone else but yourself. And I go, that sounds great. How? And he goes, just do it. Well, years now I can tell you exactly how you do it. You know how you make it about someone else other than yourself? It's simple. You seek the thoughts and opinions of others. You talk in terms of their priorities of what's important to them. 
you validate those thoughts and opinions and ideas and who they are as human beings without judging them. And then you give them choices if it's appropriate. You do one of those four things and everything you say and do, writing or live, that entire conversation becomes about the other person. And you demonstrate that value. You demonstrate that affiliation. That's how you do it. He couldn't tell me that. So that's so I, I took that transition from failing majestically at trying to be a good inspirational leader and and with humility, looking at the great people around me that were extremely effective. And because of positions I held and things I got into, I was asked to codify and write and teach and share what these great people were doing. And so it just kind of forced me to to make that art form of paint by number. That's really how it happened. <laughs> well, you talk about leadership and you said you learned that you had to inspire them. And I know in some of your writings, you talk about the difference between inspiring and convincing. Yes. And I, when I heard that, I thought that that's it. I mean, that, that's our in, innate humanity is yes. to try to convince. Uh, yes. It is mine. It's, it's innate, but you're talking about inspiring, which I've learned. I'm, I'm in the crucible right now. I've got a bunch of kids, but I've got two middle-aged boys. So I've got it kind of like, you know, middle school times two, as far as that mentality. Yes. And yes. then they're not going to be convinced of anything, No, but man, they'll be inspired. So I didn't really conceptualize that until reading your stuff. So there you go. Thanks. Yeah. And that, and that, that, that was such a critical aha moment for me because yeah. convince, you know, because remember everything I do is try to, how to make it about someone else. You know, as I remember, someone defined leadership to me years and years ago. It's all you're trying to do in leadership is get is to get them to do what you want to do with a smile on their face. Well, that's still about you. Uh -huh. How do I make it about them? Well, it's easy. How do I, instead of convincing them to do what you want to do, how do I inspire them to want to? Because convincing is about me. Inspiration is about them. And how do you inspire someone? Well, it's easy. Inspiration comes from it's got to align with what their priorities are. And so my job is to objectively help them. Because I'll tell you what, most human beings don't know what it is they're trying to achieve. They're reacting to the world around them. And so if you actually are, are using what I call discovery questions and, and asking them very simply, it's all right, what is it you're trying to achieve? What is it you're trying to do? And how are the actions you're taking and what you're doing helping you or hindering you moving forward to what you're trying to achieve? That's where inspiration comes in okay. because people don't like being told what to do. They like discovering it on their own. Um, you don't late, you know, my other thing I love to say is you don't plant seeds with people by asking them what, by telling them what you think you plant seeds with people by asking them what they think. And if you make my whole process is, is exceptionally um, altruistic and empathetic, but at the same time, it's very objective because great leaders maintain that objectivity and the objectivity is in the areas of of seeing the path that people are trying to walk. And all you're trying to do is helping them by helping them discover the, 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 the places along the path to go to get to the, where is they're trying to go. It's not where I'm trying to go. It's where they're trying to go. And, and now here's the great thing. If their priorities are no longer long, aligned with mine because I took that time to figure out what their priorities are, then I'm not going to waste their time. Yeah. Because if you're trying to convince them to do what you want, meanwhile, it has nothing to do with what it is they're trying to achieve. What a waste of time for both people. So, and that's where you actually then, and that's where that third anchor comes in. I'm a resource for their, their success and prosperity right. without expectation reciprocity. And okay. if our priorities don't align, then the best thing I'm going to do is help you get to where they are aligned with something else and someone else. Which as you came before or said before, you're at the heart of 
true sales of good sales. And of course we all know yeah. Zig, Zig Ziglar is notorious uh, for being an advocate of sales for saying that everyone is, is in sales. I like to use the word influence because we all want to influence others and we can't, we can't really do anything to help people. And you know, you said, and I'm, I'm reading out of one of your resources, I believe that genuine trusting relationships are the core of our movement forward and prosperity in this life. Um, Now, I still know that people will grapple with some of the concept. I mean, at face value, it's logical. Let's talk about trust. It's logical that, that if I, we know ourselves and we know ourselves to be trustworthy or not. We know if we lie, cheat, steal, uh, manipulate, whatever, or we don't. So let's say that I, I know that I don't, I know that I'm a good guy. I, I am trustworthy and I expect that to come out. If I am, people will understand that. And yet what I see you saying is no, you can still screw that up. If you don't, uh, can I say behave or if you don't follow some of these structures? Absolutely. So, so, and that kind of gets to the, the root and the core of my next book, which was kind of the long, the process of discovery is that because I, I've really focused on this trust issue, trying to assess trustworthiness in others. Um, what you're actually doing is you're actually trying to predict their behavior, not because trust, and you just said it perfectly right there. Trust, you know, a lot of, most people place liking someone, morals and ethics based on, and they say, if I, if you have good morals, good ethics, and I like you, I trust you. Okay. Well, that can really fail. You know, I'm a pilot, you know, and if I threw the, if I flew you and you're not a pilot, the keys to my plane is I trust you to fly my plane, but you're not a pilot. Is that reasonable trust? No, no, that's dumb. Um, so what I, what I boiled down to is I shift. Um, trust from being morals and ethics based to predictable behavior based. What can I reasonably predict you're going to do in every single situation? Because, and, and again, so funny, at, at the lower uh, cognitive level, I don't want to say low, that's kind of judgmental. At, 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 the, at the fundamental starting level, people want to use predictable behavior so I can assess, you know, if I'm in a meeting with you or I'm in a business deal with you, what, what can I predict you're going to do? And that works fine. All right. But the real reason behind it, because it goes back to what you you mentioned before, and, and thank you for doing such good research, um, it comes back to the healthy relationship. The reason why I want to predict your behavior as well, as well try to inspire trust with my behavior, is because if I can reasonably predict what you're going to do in every situation, I know exactly where to set that bar because I gave it a lot of thought. And here's what's going to happen. You're either going to meet that bar or exceed it. And so there's no emotional hijacking. We have a good, healthy relationship. And now here's what's really cool. If you fall short of that bar, and I took all the time to figure these things out, it means there's something going on in your life that caused you to deviate from your standard behavior. What can I do to be a resource for you to overcome that? And so, in other words, the whole point of me wanting to predict the behavior of others is so I can maintain a good, healthy relationship with you. So I never, ever get disappointed in you. I never get frustrated, angry, no resentment, no discontentment, because all those negative emotions they, they cloud our ability to cognitively think. And more importantly, you know, it, it's my fundamental, I've come so hard to believe that everything you want to do in life is, is yes, you, it takes genetics and biology um, for you to be able to do a certain thing, but you know, let's take it for granted. I mean, most people in this world can be trained to do almost anything, right? but you're not going to be able to do it unless you actually have relationships to get you to the point where you can. Right. So the whole process is how do I develop a healthy relationship with the people 
required in my life to move in the path I want to move in. And the only way we can do that is if you can be a resource for them moving forward in the path they want to move forward in their life. So this whole thing comes down to good, healthy, strong relationships. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and Robin Dreek. The next thing I hit Robin with is the issue of manipulation, as this is an issue people are wary of when you talk about strategies to gain people's trust. And you're, I think you're going to really want to hear this. We'll get right into it after I share some great products and services with you. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to a hundred times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top-tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. So, so people have heard we're, we're we're like 20 minutes into this and I think I've heard enough and people have heard enough, enough to hear your authenticity and, and I believe to trust you, but I want to hit an elephant in the room, which comes up when we talk about, I mean, it does, this is classic, you know, even the Ziegler training and they talk about, you know, how to close the sale and structuring things that Mm -hmm. were in a culture. Well, here, actually, let me read this. This is from. Uh, your first book. It's not all about me. That's the title folks. And the tagline is the top 10 techniques for building quick rapport with anyone. And somewhere in the description, it said a look, it's a look into the human mind, explaining how it really works from reading body language to massaging egos in order to learn more information. So right there in that line, you can hear some people going, Oh, it's manipulation, which they did with Zig. I mean, it's classic thing. If if you're going to structure and script 
script the message or the discussion or the conversation at all, then it's not authentic, which we know is that's not true, but it's been used poorly. So just hit that because we are in this time of authenticity is the big buzzword, right? They want authenticity and I'm benefiting from it because that's what's pushing podcasting is people get to listen to you over and over. They decide if they trust you, if they do, they'll listen to you. They'll buy ads from things that you're talking about, which is why all the advertisers are coming in in droves. And now there's a lot of controversy already because we have some people who are charging guests to be on a popular show. Yes, I've seen that as well. And I say, don't need it then. I'm fine. Thank I, you. <laughs> I, I know, but but then that's where it comes in is, can I trust this? Is this authentic? Is this real? And in that, when we're, we're you know, that term, you know, massaging egos, understanding somebody, getting them, reading them, uh, looking for their tells, all these, all the verbiage here. And then we see it in the movies. That's why I kind of picked that out because people right. get those depictions and it can come off like you're persuading and manipulating. Right. But no. So I'll let you reconcile that. So uh, I'm going to give you, um, there's two things. It's so funny when, when people speak, and especially when I hear myself quoted back at me, especially when it was, I wrote that book back in 2010. Um, and, you know, I think the people we are today are not the people we were 10 years ago or nine years ago. Granted. And there, there's half of that that is completely congruent with what I currently do as well. And that's the nonverbal side. And that is, I'm always looking to, um, you, at someone's nonverbals. You know, when I first joined my behavioral analysis program, I, w- I became a nonverbal expert, just you know, from the tips of your toes to the top of your head, what is your body saying to me? And what, what can I interpret by that? Um, my evolution with that is very simple. All I'm looking for is, am I, dem- am I, am I inspiring you to be comfortable with me? Yeah. Or am I inspiring stress when you're dealing with me? So I'm looking for, you know, eyebrow elevation, you know, lip smiling, you know, a little head tilt, exposed in the carotid artery, any ventral displays were up and out. Because this is saying you have high comfort with me as opposed to eyebrow compression, lip compression, anything where it's blocking and coming in. So I'm looking for all the good nonverbals of accommodating good. Um, and I wish everybody could see the video as you acted out there. It's great. Oh, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, I'm serious. And it's so, great. <laughs> and when you said massage and ego, I cringed. Oh. Um, and that's because, you know, my evolution, you know, years ago when I was teaching at the FBI Academy, you know, I had to teach elicitation. I had to teach, you know, you know, interrogation, all these things and, and getting someone to give me information without their realizing it through the use of elicitation um, is something simple to do. And yes, it was massage and ego was keeping the focus on what it was I was trying to accomplish while taking advantage of, of their human frailties and need to correct others and their insecurities. And oh my God, um, I, I apologize for it. You know, some things I had to do to go through to understand why that worked. And when I looked at it in hindsight, after I got good at doing elicitation, I mean, again, there was never a malicious intent with it, but it was understanding what human beings respond to. And when I looked at it in hindsight, it's like, well, why did they actually give me their PIN numbers or their dates of birth when it really wasn't in their best interest? Well, because I had established some semblance of trust even if it wasn't a small little time constraint, I established trust. Right. And so what I did was I, I thought to myself, well, if I was able to do that with a small symptom trust, what if I focus on trust from this, you know, small thing to this big thing, what can I do? And if I actually make sure that it's genuine, sincere, where there's congruence between the words I'm saying and the emotions I have when, when conveying them. So we have, you know, so I don't have the creepy car salesman and I'm using words to develop trust and making it about that other person. What can you achieve in that? Well, what you achieve in that is that's when you go to the healthy relationship. So what I what I learned was, yes, the, these manipulative tools work and they're effective on a very short time span if you want to take advantage of someone. 
But what always happens, here's a guarantee. When you use tools and techniques like that, at some point, that person will have buyer's remorse because they're going to walk away feeling worse for having met you. Hindsight, you know, all of a sudden, you know, if you say you're going to be back in contact again and you're not, or you say you're doing one thing and it's actually another, or the product that they sold you isn't what it lived up to because of what you said, that's when buyer's remorse sets in. And what happens with buyer's remorse to you and your brand? It suffers. So ultimately, it, it, it always came down to, and still does for me, not just building that healthy relationship with you by making sure that I have sincerity and genuineness with things I'm saying, because I'm, I'm focusing on the healthy relationship, open, honest communication, transparency, and being a resource for you and your success and prosperity with whatever product and service I'm offering and empowering you with choice, whether you want to move forward or not. But then if you ultimately say no, because remember, I have no expectation, then, and I leave you feeling better for having met me, what do, you, what do I now have? I have brand yeah. because if you don't want my product, well, then you're going to tell the next guy. like, I wasn't interested, but this is a great guy. I, I love the old movie, Miracle on 34th Street, you know, Santa Claus sitting in Macy's and, you know, it was a genuine Santa Claus, yes. a genuine article. What did he do if the mothers came up and Macy's didn't have the toy? Send them he away. sent them the gimbals. Yep. And what did the mother say? I'll never forget. He said, I never did all my shopping at Macy's before, but from this point forward, I'm shopping at Macy's. Why? Because he made it about them. And that was such a beautiful thing. In 1934, they made that movie. I mean, th these things have been around for eons and generations, but you couldn't actually articulate what he was doing. What was he doing? He's talking in terms of the woman's priorities and he powered her with choice. One of my four things. So, so in essence, you're saying I hadn't thought about it in these terms, but you could use these things. Let's, let's, let's put it in a dating scenario. You could help sure. somebody get the date, but you yes. can't help them keep the girl. Uh, that, that's a long-term process. There's buyer's remorse. Yeah. You got, you know, you, you, you read somebody, you got in there, you, you know, endeared yourself to them. In essence, you can do that. There are some techniques, but that's not going to build a long-term relationship. Well, you know, it builds long-term relationships, hmm. overlapping priorities. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Trust. And what did that beget? You know, like everyone's got a friend or two that they, uh, they've had for 20, 30 years, you know, if you're older like us, right. And I asked him, I said, so how frequently are you in contact now? So once every couple of years, maybe once a year. Yeah. And I said, and when you do, um, it's like no time had passed, correct? And I said, yeah, exactly. And I said, so you used to be in daily contact. Why aren't you in daily contact now? If you're best friends, it's easy. Overlapping priorities. There's no longer um, space overlapping, job overlapping, interest overlapping. And so when you actually build a relationship with someone, you know, whether it's romantic or friendship, What's what's false in that relationship is, is you're doing one of those four things more predominantly than than you were before, if not all of them. You're seeking their thoughts and opinions. You're talking in terms of what's important to them and their priorities. You're validating them without judging them. Those three th those three big things are what people do when they build relationships. And if the hold relationships where they're going to be consistently interacting is you have to have overlapping interests slash priorities. Okay. So keep on that because, so my wife does, she works in the neuroscience arena. So wow. I love the brain. I love neuroplasticity. <laughs> so when I saw that as part of that, I was, I was intrigued, but this term and which I, and I'm going to give her your information, uh, where you say, get their brain to reward them yes. for engaging with us. I thought it was brilliant. That came out of your video, didn't it? Was yeah, that and actually, that's in my first book. That's in my second book, Dakota Trust. And it's also in my next book, uh, Sizing People Up. Yep, absolutely. And okay. I teach it all the time. 
Well, it's incredible. And I want you to talk about that because, well, even back to the, and I think this was out of the, uh, out of the video too, out of the, you know, the trust aspect where you talked about convincing versus inspiring. And you asked these questions, I wrote them down. I'll just, I'll rip them out here. You know, why should anyone for us to ask? So folks, as you're listening, these are questions uh, that Robin's saying for us to ask ourselves in an engagement in relationship. Why should someone talk with you? Uh, why would anyone talk with you? Why should anyone tell you anything? Why should anyone want to see you again? Why should anyone take actions for you? Why should anyone follow you? I, we do not come in. I don't naturally go in, even in knowing sales and understanding some you know, PR skills and human relations. I don't go in having thought about that because it's, I mean, sure, there's some self-focus, but it's also making me engage with that person and what they want, just like you're talking about, flip it around. And the right. focus is on them. From so their perspective. from their perspective. So again, back on that, getting their brain to reward them for engaging with us. Break that down a little bit. Sure. So um, I'm intuitively, you know, this, I mean, we've all experienced this where someone's in a conversation with someone and someone says they have to go in like five minutes, but you're there for 10, 15, 20, 30. Yeah. It's because someone's brain in one of those two people is rewarding them for an engagement. So um, and we've all experienced it. So what Harvard University did in the spring of 2012 was, was majestic. They wired up people's brains and they found on average people sh talk about themselves, their own priorities, thoughts and opinions roughly 40% of every day. And what they found is, is that during that 40% of their sharing their thoughts, and opinions, ideas, dopamine is being released. Wow. So our, so dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, bloodstream. So basically when we're sharing our thoughts, and opinions with others, and now those thoughts and opinions are being validated and understood and respected and affiliated by others. Our brain double releases dopamine. So, so let's take it. Why does that work okay. and why is that happening? Ancient tribal man, thousands of years ago, we were tribal. And if you did not belong part of a tribe and a collective, the likelihood of you passing on your genetics and coding to others through your offspring was slim to none. So our brain rewards us chemically when we're actually being affiliated with others and we share our thoughts and opinions that we're being accepted and being valued by others so our brain says this is good for survival we need to affiliate with these people and so we're constantly projecting out to others our thoughts and opinions seeking acceptance seeking acceptance and that's why human beings are so insecure because we're constantly seeking acceptance by others and when we are accepted by others what goes on in the brain dopamine, dopamine. and so when you can actually consciously know how to make it about someone else their brain will reward them for engaging with you. It, it's, it's so simple. It, it's crazy to me. You know, that's why, how do you demonstrate a value and affiliation? Go back to what we said right, right at the beginning. Easy. I'm going to seek your thoughts and opinions. Because when I'm seeking your thoughts and opinions, I say, I value you. When I, when I talk in terms of what's important to you, your brain is firing because that's all you want to do is talk in terms of what's important to you and your priorities because that's your survival. I validate the things you just said because now I'm saying when I validate means not necessarily I agree with, but I seek to understand that who you are and all the reasons you do what you do without judging them. Your brain is also saying, oh, my gosh, this person is good for my survival, more dopamine. Yeah. And finally, if appropriate, I empower people with choices. In other words, in all my first contacts, when I was dealing with the FBI trying to recruit spies or recruit someone to be a, a confidential human source for the FBI, my final statement I always leave them with is, and if you don't want any contact with me in the future, please let me know and I'll leave you completely alone. And people cringe at that. Oh, you can't let them off the hook. I said, no, but I just made it about them. It's not yeah. about me. And so, and I always say, how many times do you think in the last 10 years, someone told me to go away and never come back? It's never happened. Because it's, here's the other beautiful analogy with making about someone else. Think about this. Think about the strongest, healthiest relationship you have in your life. 
How often during the last conversation engagement you had with this person, did you seek their thoughts and opinions, talk in terms of what's important to them, validate them without judging them, and or give them choices if appropriate? On average, the healthiest, strongest relationships we have with people, we do it 5 to 10% of the time. Can you imagine the power of the impact we have and the healthy, strong relationships we can build if we do it 100% of everything we do and write? Because the brain says, this person is so good for me in my survival. Okay, forgive me for interrupting our flow here because this is the exact flow that I look for on this show here. But I can see my kids as I'm talking to them about this at the dinner table tonight and they're talking about, yeah, he recruited spies. One of them go, why would somebody be a spy? Okay, to serve their country. Yeah, but did they get paid? Did they get paid? Um, yes. Okay. But what are they do? So, so I get this. As a matter of fact, I, I've got another article coming out on um, my next newsletter coming out. I actually, I, actually, it's right here. The title of it. So how do you recruit a spy? <laughs> <laughs> Again, this is off tangent, but I thought my kids would ask this question. I want to answer it for them. It's the easiest thing in the world. Okay. You don't. Okay. Because what, what do you do? It's just like in sales. You try to discover what's important in their priorities and I offer them resources in terms of that. So here's, so huh. how do you recruit a spy? So people say, well, they just use money. Well, my, my next question is money is just a, a thing. It's a means to an end. I call them means goals and ends goals. So what are they doing with the money? Ultimately, at the end of the day, you can keep boiling down where they want to buy things, they want to buy a car, they want to buy a house, and they want to live in a comfortable place. So basically what you're saying is their, their end goal is to be have safety and security and prosperity for themselves and their families. Yeah. Yeah. So my job, so everyone I ever worked with that decided that they wanted to buy my product, which was patriotism in the United States, a dying, it was always came down to a dying wish of a, of a father, grandmother, grandfather, or someone in the family that their grandchildren wouldn't grow up under the oligarchs or corrupt system in their country. And they wanted a better life for themselves. Wow. That's their priority for safety and security and prosperity. My job is to, to identify individuals that had those priorities and I offer them resources. That's it. So I, and it's really, that, and, it, and what are we doing when we're selling things? We're identifying the, I, you know, the priorities of others and we're offering them resources. And if they don't know, what their priorities are. Like I deal with the finance industry all the time. I got a great friend who works in insurance and his, and their entire model for selling insurance is, is safety and security for your family in case of tragedy. Right. People oftentimes don't think in case of tragedy. So their job is to help you understand there could be tragedy. And if you're worried about tragedy, I have a resource for you to take care of it. Okay. Thank you. I, and, and I'm, I, that stayed right within the flow. So thanks for doing that. Even as I, I thought I was <laughs> jumping out of it, but you know, back to your, uh, you know, authentic being caring about that person. I love that the dopamine aspect, you are feeding them, you're rewarding their yes. brain. Now we know that that is, so you're saying that is an ingredient of trust, which that's good for us. Now, you know, I'm thinking even if we don't care, because sometimes we're talking with somebody and we just don't have a high level of care about that relationship, whatever, it's still just good for them. So there's the altruistic aspect of that is to, is to do that for them. But back on the trust aspect, um, you use this, you talked about validation, but you go further and say non-judgmental validation yes. uh, is, is good for our survival. Um, talk about that because I think we all understand validate. Well, there's two caveats. That, so the word validation, there's two caveats to that. You said non-judgmental one, and then you also said it doesn't mean that you are agreeing with them. Help us out in understanding both of those. Sure. Um, validation is a very, very deep-rooted um, understanding of another human being um what i what i use 
I, I think of validation in terms of one of the things I, I don't allow myself to do, and that is have anyone in life bother me. In, in other words, if someone has an inappropriate behavior, um, I take ownership of I'm doing something to spike an insecurity in someone. So I need to understand where they're insecure so I can validate that insecurity so that they'll stop that inappropriate behavior. Um, validation, it's, I, I, it's deeper than flattery. Flattery can be very surface and transparent and, and look manipulative. Validation is understand that old adage, walk a day in someone's shoes and see what choices you would make before you judge them. Okay. You know, I've worked, I, you know, I've worked espionage cases. I've worked some heinous crimes, you know, throughout my career. And there, there, there are things people have done that you don't agree with your morals, your ethics, and all these things. But if your goal is to inspire them to share with you the things they've done, so you can help make right the people they've harmed or the situations they've committed. If you're going to judge them in their actions on that service level, they're never going to share. And so I, the core is to understand what led them up to making the choice and decisions in their life. Cause every human being started out perfect. The world, like I said before, the world messes up for 19 years and then situations, dynamics, people who interact with societal norms or demographic or, 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 or economic status, the country, and all these places impact decisions we make as human beings. My, I had, I had 21 years of muscle memory with the FBI of if uh, here's a guarantee, if I took a side or I judged in any way, you're not going to share with me. If I, if I argued your context of what is, is you're not going to share with me. And so my job was to make sure that your, your shields are always down so I could actually seek to understand the person that you are without judging. Does again, not judging doesn't mean you're agreeing with. It means you're seeking to understand the human being and what led them to be the person they are. Because what happens is you, when you do those sorts of things, you gain context, context of the other person's life and their experiences and the things they've been through. I can guarantee you this. There hasn't been one human being across the 24 nationalities I've worked and across all these different violations of law I've worked that I didn't understand their context of what led them to do the things they wanted to do in their life, as heinous as some of them were. It became a, a tragedy on both ends for me, a tragedy for the victims and a tragedy for the life that this person wound up living because of their events. That's non-judgmental validation. It means you're seeking to understand, not agreeing with, not, you know, it, it, it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's, that it's that beautiful um, melding, I think, of empathy with objectivity. You know, I call it stempathies, you know, empathy and, and, and stoicism, you know, stoicism, basically pure cause and effective behaviors, but with massive empathy to understand because people are people don't need you to agree with them. All they want to be is understood and heard. And so that's what this is all about. So validation is seeking to understand and hear someone uh, without judging them. OK, so I want to bring this home. Literally, uh, you're <laughs> ma you're married. You've got kids. Yep. And yep. so tell us, give us some tangible, because I think, you know, as we go into the workplace and we think about, hey, you know, our, our boss, managers, employees, whatever it may be, that using this to gain their trust, to have rapport, has value, to use it with our customers, our clients, yada, yada. But now to bring it into the home, that is where it is. I think for a lot of us, it's easier to do some of those things in the workplace. And I yep. use this reference a lot. I have a business partner who's one of my closest friends. And we have an intimate relationship, you know, in, in that sure. regards. 
Um, but I don't go home with him and he doesn't go right. home with me. And so some of the things we can share and it's not as acute as when I'm having a similar conversation with my wife. And now the decisions we make or the opinions we hold, uh, the things that we need to validate or have more, they have more weight because we're going to live with that. And it's going to impact us right there in our home. Talk about it. Sure. And, and, and not just that, but the, you know, when we're generally at home, all our shields are completely down. We're more true and genuine to who our core human being status is as well. Um, so my wife and I are easy because um, our, we've had overlapping priorities since the day we met, the day we got married. I mean, we haven't had a whole lot of, of, uh, of aha, humbling moments. It's been really easy because I value her strengths and priorities and she values mine. I mean, we've been married 26 years. But where I'm going to, where, what her genius and where this all came about is, is because um, matter of fact, my books, a lot of, a lot of techniques I write about in my books is who she is as a human being. She's a natural validator of human beings. And so what she did with my kids, um, and made me do as well, because, Hey, I'm a former Marine. You know, my, my, I was big into my rules, of the, my rules of the highway, man. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat it into one way or the other that what you should and shouldn't do. And she, she had a very simple motto in life. Matter of fact, I use, I, I'm a board member on a group called innocent lives foundation. And what we do is we protect, um, kids from being human trafficked and being um, victimized um, by pedophiles and things like that. Wow, okay. And, and we, and I, and I have, I use the same philosophy with this. So how do you protect your, protect your children from being online? Um, you know, from predators. Well, same thing. In my house is one, we never ever judged their friends and we didn't judge their choice and decisions they made. We tried to understand why, and we tried to be the place that people wanted to come and be. So her big thing was be the house where all the kids want to come. Hmm. Be inviting, be non-judgmental, because what happens is when you're the place that people want to come because you're not poking at them all the time, then you get a normal baseline of what their friends are. That way, if a deviation from the norm happens of healthy relationships, you can zero in on that. And so what I also learned, uh, especially with my daughter, you can't even judge their friends because as soon as you use some sort of judgmental language where you're judging their choices, their clothing, their hair color, um, any of these things – there's your kids shield her up. Right. And then, you, and, and what are you sacrificing by doing that? You're sacrificing my three, my three core anchors, healthy relationship, yeah. open, honest communication, transparency, and, a, and being a resource for their success and prosperity. So using it at home, it can be very, very tough. But the most important thing that we all, I, I think everyone can agree with this. When you have your own children and you have your spouse and you have your family, you want healthy relationships. Yes. Yes. The only way you're going to have it is have open, honest communication, transparency, and don't judge <laughs> because I can guarantee if you start judging their decisions, their thought processes, who they're hanging out with, shield her up. Yeah. Seek to understand why and seek to understand. You know, I remember this, this challenging conversation I had with my daughter years ago. There was a deviation from the norm in, in, a, in someone she had a friendship with and I was not getting it. And I remember and all I knew was if I start poking at this, it's going to be tragic because my daughter is not going to she's going to get angry at me. It is going to be really hard. And I remember the conversation I had with Caitlin. I said, please, please help me see what you see. Hmm. I said, I love all your friends. They're good human beings. They're good people. They're diverse. They're different than me. And that doesn't matter. I think they're good human beings. And I, and I see the value that you see in them. I don't see it here. Please, please help me see what you see. And and eventually the relationship, that, that unhealthy relationship did end. Um, but it was it was rough. But I didn't say I'm judging this person. I wanted her to explain to me, what do you see? Because I don't. Help me. 
Um, so again, what did I do? I made it about her, not about me. Is that literally a, 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 a personal and family rule of, you say, you use the word judging. Uh, can we say criticizing? Is it a, is that a yeah. no criticizing house? No criticizing. Okay. You know, my wife is, is, was adamant about this and, and I, be, and I saw the results. I mean, I, my, my, my children have, I've never had a day of, of hardship with them and they're both off to college, almost graduating. Um, and it's because this house is a safe place always, you know, where I was always huge. I, I never did any yelling <laughs> um, or disciplining until they got on each other. I said, you understand you will have each other for the rest of your lives. Other people may come and go in your life, but it's us that you always have. Do not ruin these relationships and do not. And the only, and the only way you can ruin these relationships is to judge each other and be harsh to each other and be unkind to each other. So the only rule we have is no judging, no unkindness, no criticizing. Always seek to understand, you know, the choice that people are making and be a resource for them moving. You know, like even so I remember some, so some my son's at the Naval Academy being very successfully as a mechanical engineer. My daughter's about to graduate with a nursing degree. And someone once said to me, so if your son didn't want to be a mechanical engineer, be a Navy pilot and stuff, what do you want to be, you know, a mason, a bricklayer, a plumber? I said, fantastic. I'm going to help you be the best one you can. (laughs) You know, so it came down to, that's it. Discover what people's goals and priorities are and be a resource for their success. My kids chose what they wanted to do. And the best thing I could do is be, be, be the supporter. I mean, I realized, I think, two or three years ago. You know, when I finally learned how to get over myself and the career I thought I was supposed to lead and this great impact on the planet I was supposed to have, when I realized a number of years ago that I was actually put on this planet to learn all these tools to pass on to my children so I could bear witness to their success, then I got it. <laughs> that is so actually, before I go on to the next next uh, next question I've got. What we just talked about here, what is the best resource for folks who want to dig into this as far as application? Because I think what you just talked about in your home may be some of the most compelling content that we've hit on during this talk. Which, which Thanks. book video would that be? So um, it's a continuum. Okay. I, I, I say, I hate to say it like oh, that, no, that's um, okay. but, but it is, I mean, it starts with the first and, and it comes out, the next one will be out in January. Um, probably, you know, you know, listen to the podcast like yours. I've done a number of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, listen to it. My website has got a lot of links to it. Um, Peopleformula.com is a website. I actually have an online course that I keep really cheap. That's eight weeks of of in-depth with me talking about all these cool um, concepts. And the thing I love about what I do on my online courses, it's as much or as little interaction with me as you want to have. When people communicate with me through the website, it it, it stinking goes to my cell phone (laughs) all weekend long. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I always put it on the other person, you know, there's plenty of content out there and as much interaction as a human being wants to have, depending on where they are in their own journey. Um, Mine started with understanding. All right. I suck. Here's what I suck at. What am I going to do about it? (laughs) So the thing that, and again, I I don't even remember our initial uh, connection point, but it was talking about your book that as of this recording is not even out yet. And I think when we publish the show, it won't be out. It's coming out in January, 2020, correct? Yep. Uh, And that is sizing people up and just the the, the tagline or, or the headline alone caught my attention, especially in relation to what you do and, and who you are. 
But I think we, we all want to do that. If we could go around and see thought bubbles above everybody's heads, it told us who, who they are, what they were about. If right. I could trust them, I mean, it would be brilliant. We'd all know, you know, going to the network right. party and now we don't have to deal with all the discomfort of trying to figure out, is this somebody we want to connect with? We would trust. Are they going to waste my time? Yada, yada, yada. Um, not that it's all just about that, but tell us about that son, because you talk about ultimately the book is not just in the reference point that I have of sizing people up, figuring them out. It's still talking about understanding trust. Well, but it is about ascertaining their trustworthiness. Yes. Yes. Okay. You know, ultimately, you know, we call about ascertaining their trustworthiness, which ultimately really is the, what, what can reasonably predict they're going to do. So it's taken the subjectiveness of trustworthiness because trustworthiness is very subjective because again, people place liking morals and ethics on trustworthiness. And if I say, okay, develop trust with someone, go, Mm -hmm. how do you do it? You know, it's kind of that elusive, uh, no, actually there's things you can actually do. So um, this breaks it down from an art form of assessing trustworthiness to actually a paint by number of assessing predictability. In other words, what can I reasonably predict you're going to do? And then I can make now choices about whether to interact with you because you want a healthy interaction or not a healthier interaction with me. So I came up with these six signs for trustworthiness or predictability. Um, my first one is vesting. Very simple. Is this person, are they demonstrating they want to vest in your success? Because hmm. um, that's a sign of, you know, hey, we might have a relationship. Second is longevity. Are they using language and are they performing tasks that are demonstrating they see a long relationship with you or is it just short term? Um, third, reliability. Can they reasonably do the things they say they're going to do? You know, are they competent basically yeah. at the things they say they can do? Uh, fourth, I love this one. Fourth is actions. Another past patterns of key behaviors. In other words, if I observe someone doing one something once, twice, or three times, I can guarantee you they're probably going to do it the same way four or five and six times. There's no, there's no hope involved. I hope they'll get better at this or hope they'll do better next time. No, they probably won't. They're probably going to do the exact same way as they did it before. Yeah. So I'm looking at, at past patterns, key behaviors. Uh, language. Language is key here. In other words, the, the four things we talked about um, before already, seeking thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of my priorities, uh, validating them and empowering them with choice. Are they using that language with me? Are they, In other words, are they demonstrating that they're trying to inspire trust with their own language. And then finally, um, my key, which I love the most, is sign six of stability, emotional stability. Hmm. Are these people emotionally stable when faced with stress um, um, or just uncomfortable things or any situations, or are they all over the map? And again, none of these things are meant to judge them. They're meant to give you a lot of data points along the way so you can understand what I'm, who am I dealing with and what can I reasonably predict you're going to do in every situation. In other words, if, if you if you know one someone who tends to be emotionally unstable when dealing with stress in the workplace, yeah. but you can predict what they're going to do in every situation, and it doesn't undermine what it is you're trying to do as a mission, okay, I can deal with this person because they actually have reliability, they have longevity, and they have vesting. So in other words, none of these things come down to, oh, if they fail one, it's all out, or it just comes down to reasonably predicting so I can make a choice on whether this is going to be a healthy relationship for the two of us. Well, so for a given role, whether that's somebody you're going to hire, date, marry, you know, whatever you could theoretically, and this is probably what's in your book. You could theoretically say, what of those areas do I need? I don't need this one. It's not that important for this role. I need X, Y, Z. Absolutely. So the vetting is brilliant depending on the role that you want. 
Absolutely. Okay. You know, and so for me, mostly I'm looking for emotional stability and I'm looking for past patterns, key behaviors and most things I'm doing because when it comes for me, reliability, um, most times when I'm interacting with someone, if you need to learn a new skill or skill set or tool set, I can teach it to you or I can have someone else teach it to you. So that's low. Um, longevity, uh, I leave that up to the other person in most situations if they see this as long term. Um, vesting. I'd like someone to be making sure that they're hoping that I, I'm as successful as they are. So, you know, so that, because that means it's mutually beneficial and that's kind of healthy. In other words, not trying to take advantage of me. Right. Um, so those are kind of key ones I'm looking for, but, it, but again, it's situational dependent on every, on everything you're doing, you know, cause now when you're trying to sell a product to someone, um, I'm always hoping for longevity in, in certain situations because longevity, not necessarily with them buying from me again, but branding. Cause if you actually yeah. are looking and you're not, a, a, you're not, dissuaded about a long-term relationship means that you i'm gonna have a good brand with you and the people that in your life and your rest of your client base and things like that so yeah all these things get weighed in so all it's doing is allowing you to make a good conscious choice about the other person and what you can reasonably expect from that relationship it seems like there's not an employer on the planet including myself who wouldn't want the book and to do that, to go through those for those given roles. Okay. Here's a sales rep. Here's an accountant. Here's a oh, wow. HR somebody. And, and these are the things that are important. This is what we're looking for. Here's how to vet them. Uh, again, I, that's why I was intrigued right away with thank it. You and, so much. Well, and especially yeah. coming from your background. Well, Hey, thank you. Uh, all, all of this is, is so intriguing. It brings us back to the heart again, as we started of sales and of influence and of doing the right thing for other people, but it's also the best thing that we could do for ourselves. And uh, yes. that's a good sell. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> it. And thank you for giving us your time. And I'm eager to just engage more with what you're putting out here. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it much. Uh, absolutely. Anytime. Love it. Well, friends, if you weren't equally intrigued and inspired by this show, well, you know what? I know you were. Uh, and again, you can connect more with Robin at peopleformula.com where he offers training and find his book, The Code of Trust, wherever you get books. Coming up next in show 740, effectively communicating with groups and individuals. How would you rate your communication skills when presenting something to a group of people at a dinner table, a meeting at work or on stage? Do you feel understood and heard? Well, that's the question I posed to the Ziegler audience. But interestingly, more people cited that they did feel more adept at communicating to groups, whether personally or professionally, than they did to individuals. So we spent a lot of time talking about how you effectively communicate to the individuals in your lives, like your family members, for instance. And I asked my guests from episodes 731 and 733 to join me. It's cognitive neuroscientist and communication expert, Jared Cooney Horvath. Jared got his doctorate from the University of Melbourne. I think you can get a veritable doctorate in communication from this next show. Well, till then, friends, thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 